0: financial advisor justin
1: klein good afternoon and welcome back to invest talk this is our tuesday january 10th 2023 edition i appreciate you all tuning in to this hour and uh, i'm excited to help you in this transition uh in the markets uh, and hopefully in your portfolio so that you can make the most of the opportunities that are out there now today uh i want to kick off with one of my favorite sayings uh there's a lot of sayings that i get from my grandfather who was my mentor and 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 he he instilled a lot in me uh that sticks with me today you know uh, a lot of my value investing uh mindset comes from this uh whereas you know most people uh most people don't have that, right? They they have headlines, they have uh their human emotions that drive uh their decision making process. Uh and luckily I had somebody that kept me down to earth. Um, but there are other market gurus, shall we say, that also have some great quotes. And one of my favorite ones is from Charlie Munger. If you don't know who that is, that is Warren Buffett's right hand man for many decades and his My favorite quote from him is, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. You know, we talk a lot about on the show that uh, it's not about just giving you the answer to one question. It's about giving you the mindset to make good investment decisions. And this is a a good quote to always return to when you're trying to decipher a situation, especially when it comes to money right? Because typically incentives are monetary driven. And there are a lot of there are a lot of kind of imbalances within the economy that are driven by misaligned incentives. And, you know, you see this in the commission market, That's why uh, a lot of uh, Commission products like loaded mutual funds uh, and, and the like are kind of leaving the market, and the uh, regular, regulators are trying to get rid of them by using the best interest uh, designation for those that supply uh, investment advice. You know, and that's what we are under as uh, registered investment advisors. But all across. The investment world, the business world, there are various incentives, some artificial, driven by government regulation, others created because it's just simply capitalism, right? Trying to make money and build good products that are in demand. And so there are so many outcomes. That some people are confused about, wonder how that outcome came about, especially the ones that maybe were misleading or poor. And it typically comes down to the incentive structure of, that the people within the decision-making process are operating under. There are many examples, uh, but one good example of an unintended consequences driven by the incentive structures created was started in the 90s. And this was where, well intentioned, you saw CEOs getting huge pay raises, making a ton of money, and that the optics of that were not good. Well, under the Clinton administration, they actually capped how much you can pay a CEO. Well, what did that do? All it did is got those companies to, instead of paying out cash bonuses, they relied a lot on stock-based compensation. It aligned with the shareholders. Uh, but what happened was, in a lot of cases, companies shifted or CEOs shifted their management style, not to the long-term benefit of shareholders, which before then, that was ma- their driving force but it was about how can I manipulate the stock higher whether that is lying on a earnings report whether that is buying back stock to make it look like your earnings per share are growing when your underlying business is not and that is one example of an incentive structure that was created and the unintended consequences of it and so As you're making investment decisions, as you're analyzing the different opportunity sets that are out there, the different companies, analyzing their management style, suddenly you can start to think about the incentives that they're all operating under. And ultimately, that will go a long way to understanding whether probably a good investment or not. Because the vast majority of people, they react to incentives. So I wanted to start off with that today because it's very important to, for for me to teach you the mindset. And I say that all the time, but this is one aspect where you can really Internalize, hopefully, and apply on a consistent basis. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and on today's radio show and, pro- and podcast, I'm going to do my best to answer your investment questions, help you develop strategies, and make better decisions with your money. So, my phone line is always open 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 888.99. Chart. Got a lot of material to discuss with you today. One is on uh, how the health insurance market continues to get more expensive and why. I also want to dig into a few other stories. The liquidity within the treasury market, that's going to be increasingly important to discuss and, and follow throughout this uh, this decade. We're going to look at that. Also retail investors are continue to pile into Tesla and we're going to look at some data there from a sentiment perspective. And then lastly, we're running earning, earning season. We're going to go over the U S banks as well. Now, Today in the market. Actually let let's get to our first caller. We're gonna go to Chris and he's in Florida. He's looking at C V S
2: Um Hey Justin. Yeah, I was looking at C V S because I own it. Um mm-hmm. thinking about picking up some more and I saw that um there were there's a report put in Bloomberg about the acquisition they're making. Um, I think it's like Oak
1: Health Street or something like that they're buying. Um,
2: just wondering mm-hmm. what you
1: thought about that acquisition
2: um, and what you think about the company for a long-term hold.
1: Uh, yeah, so we own CVS and they did make a deal today for Oakmark Health. Uh and that, that certainly adds some risk. Anytime a company makes an acquisition, there's risk there. There's risk that that acquisition uh, doesn't Go as well as planned. There's risk that it could potentially uh, disrupt the. I guess the. How would you call it the. The feeling within the company, right? The 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 employees are they going to embrace the new uh, the new endeavor? Um, and then also, did they overpay? So that's a big question, and that's still TBD. Now, the good thing with, with uh, CVS is they have a strong balance sheet. They'll be getting more and more into the healthcare space. And they have that consistency of the pharmacy side uh, to fund these types of growth acquisitions. So uh, overall, I think it's a relative positive. But we own it for, uh, for clients. And it's now at support, right around 90 bucks a share. So I do think this is an opportunity to maybe pick up a few more shares down here. Thanks for the call. Now, we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions now, so give InvestTalk a call at 888-99-CHART.
3: In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need invest talk with total downloads nearing 50 million each invest talk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools invest talk is a free download and hosts justin klein and steve peaslee stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience 24 7 rain or shine during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart.
2: It's a new year, but you've got finance and investment questions, so Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk. Eight 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 ninety nine chart.
1: Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a nice solid update. The U.S. market overall was up about three quarters of one percent. Small caps led the way, up one point three percent on the day. Mid caps up one point or sorry, point eight two percent. So definitely led by those smaller names. Growth outperformed uh, just a bit, especially after the last two days where rates were down. Dates are up today. They were up 10 basis points in the 10-year today, but uh, they definitely down the last couple of days. Uh, And you have the CPI number coming out. I believe that is on Thursday, so that's going to be a big question mark. You had uh, gold that was up uh, just a bit. That continues its strength. The dollar was about flat on the day, so nothing doing there. Uh, It continues in a downtrend, and as long as they don't see that really power uh, to into an uptrend. I think that is going to keep a bit of a floor under the market. And I think that's why you saw the market rally for most of the day. You're not seeing really strong strength in the the dollar overall, which we know. Strong and higher dollar means tighter liquidity conditions. The S&P after hours is up a bit, uh, but really rallied really throughout the day, even though it was uh, opened early in the morning, uh, down a bit. Um, so it was a, a nice, consistent up day, uh, new money flowing into the market in the new year. So far, the January effect has been fine. The market's been up, and that tends to bode well for the market. Uh, you know, this is a time where the economy still remains relatively strong. It's not amazing. Shouldn't expect it to be, especially in the manufacturing side. There's some deceleration there. Uh, but overall, Consumer spending is relatively robust, and you the cyclical names are starting to outperform. And that is something you have to take note of. There's the headlines that you can watch, but the most important headline is the underlying trends within the markets, especially from a sector perspective. What sectors are underperforming or outperforming? And what you're seeing now is the cyclical names are starting to outperform the non-cyclical names, right? Consumer staples, healthcare, care, uh, utilities. Those are starting to underperform this year. And so the, you have to ask your question, ask the question, why? Why is that? Is it because the economy might be doing fine and the market overpriced uh, a, a bad recession and maybe their session is just going to be pretty mild, which is kind of our base case. So I still expect a, a choppy time in the market. You're going to get rallies. Sentiment still improving from a very low, low level in October. And we're only a quarter past that really bearish sentiment. Um, so it's going to take a little while for that to flip, I, I think, the other way. So that's the market right now. And we'll see what we get with the CPI number coming in on Thursday. Let's go back to the Vestock Voice Bank
2: at 888.99 chart. Hi, this is Gable Garza. I'm calling from Central California, Hanford to be exact. Calling in about a stock NXPI, the semiconductor, about a $42 billion market cap. Trying to get in this space. And I know Justin was saying that uh, it's very cyclical, but I believe these fundamentals are good. And I want to know which, what's a good entry point and is this a good time to get in? can't wait to hear your answer and appreciate everything that you guys do for us thank you all right this is
1: nxp semiconductors it's a leading supplier of high performance mixed signal products and it's well diversified large company But let's see what the market cap is about 43 billion dollars uh market cap very minimal debt which i like uh it's based out of the netherlands which i also like so uh, geographically uh, diversified headquarters is not focused in Taiwan for example and uh, pay ratio on the dividends only about 28 percent two percent dividend yield I like that so room for that to go up with the low debt level the technicals are starting to improve and historically this is a pretty strong uh performer now it is cyclical meaning earnings was, uh, 2022, about $14 per share. So let's get on to 13 this year and analysts are downgrading those expectations so far. So, you know, uh, this is definitely one of the better ones in, in the space. The problem is you remain in a in, in a glut within the industry and that's gonna put pressure on margins. Now we're moving into a break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART.
3: One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart.
1: Let's go talk to Bill in San Diego He wants to talk about portfolio management.
2: Hi, I love your show. Appreciate it. I use charts, Uh thank you, to help me uh, select new uh, um, stocks Mm -hmm. and especially use the golden cross uh, symbol. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, in addition, which fundamental ratios or other features should I look for? Thank you.
1: Well, the golden cross is not a fundamental ratio. Golden Cross is uh, about the technicals. You talked about the charts. That is technical analysis. When you're looking at charts, you're looking at moving averages, MACD, all these different signals, charting patterns, et cetera, that is technical analysis. That is just studying the price movement of the stock or the sector, whatever. Fundamentals, that is the underlying business. What are the, what, what's profitability look like? Return on assets, return on equity, Return on invested capital. We like to look at those. You know what type of returns for shareholders is the company producing? Not just today, but consistently, average over a long period of time. How up and down is it? How consistent is it? Sometimes, you know, many companies that are cyclical, they don't have an economic moat. They can oscillate wildly from a lot of profits to, uh, you know, a lot of losses. <laughs> uh, you know, and if you look at the semiconductor industry that's very very common Just go back to this last one nxpi made fourteen dollars so let's make fourteen dollars and change in 2022 once they report fourth quarter earnings well in 2020 they only only made 18 cents a share 85 cents in 2019 pre-pandemic six dollars and 72 cents though in 2018 that was up from four dollars 25 in 2017 but they only made 58 cents in 2016 and 560 in 2015. So that's a type of business that is very, very up and down. So typically, you don't want to buy a company that is making a lot of money today, but historically is very cyclical. So that's something that you want to consider is not just what those fundamentals look like in a snapshot today because guess what the market doesn't care what the company made today or last quarter or last year it cares about what's the company going to make next year and year after going forward and so there's you know what metrics to look at that's a whole can of worms that it's going to take a long time to, to unpack but you first need to delineate between technical analysis, which is the chart pattern, which you spoke about, and fundamental analysis, which is analyzing the individual business. And then you want to overlay that, both of, those, both of those analyses, with the macro backdrop. the economy strengthening, weakening, inflation going up, is it going down? And depending on those factors, certain sectors will outperform or underperform. So that's a short answer, a very short, quick answer of how to pick securities, when and why, and how to actually manage a portfolio. Now, my focus point concerns the story behind this question. Has health insurance made healthcare more expensive? I think it's pretty clear that, yeah, they have. Now, 40% of U.S. adults have at least $250 in medical debt. And as healthcare prices have gone up over the past 50 years, patients are asked to take more more and more out of pocket or pay more and more out of pocket. The average deductible for an individual in 2022 is around $1,760. That's double what it was inflation-adjusted in 2006. And 70% of lower-income adults, they can't afford a $500 medical bill. So... How are they going to afford that big deductible? And I've been saying this for a couple of years now. has it come to fruition. But this is my biggest worry with the health insurance companies. Right. United Health. United Health is a big one. Right, a lot of people invested in it. It's been a pretty consistent performer since, especially since Obamacare came out. And now it's starting to go down over the past a uh, week or so, starting to break down technically. Um, but to me, the while Obamacare, you could argue, is maybe a little better for some, worse for others, it didn't change the whole industry that dramatically, except for maybe in health insurance companies, a lot more money. And as we continue with this age of De-globalization and populism around the world, I think there's going to continue to be a push towards a more Medicare for all, single payer, however you want to call it, whatever you think it'll manifest as. But I do think longer term, we're at the peak of the health insurance companies market share of the wallets within the healthcare space and that's the biggest risk i see so be cognizant of that how much exposure do the health healthcare companies within your portfolio have to the health health insurance industry which they to make more money they need the price of healthcare to continue, need to go up and that's why it has because they're incentivized remember at the top of the show i talked about incentives that's the incentive within the healthcare industry and why prices continue to go up Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call now at at 888 99 Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy and where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone with millions of users With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started.
2: Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes, and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Steven Justin. This is Amir from Michigan. Thank you so much for your uh, great shows. I enjoyed a lot. I uh, I learn a lot. I have a question about this uh, stock, uh, Southern Copper. I have this stock for a few months. It again, it gained a lot. I know about like a three, forty-three percent about uh, in the last three months. I'm thinking maybe to sell or trim this stock. I wanted to know your idea about it. I appreciate that if you let me know about your ideas in the show. And thanks so much. Um, bye.
1: All right, this is Southern Copper, SCCO, and this is uh, the our favorite copper name. Uh, it is operates in Peru and in Mexico. It is not the largest, not Freeport Macromin, but it historically has been the best run copper producer in the world. Now there are a bit higher geopolitical risks than than Freeport Macromin, but we don't see a whole lot of that. Uh, coming to a head anytime soon, fifty-five billion dollar market cap yields about five percent, and it has rallied pretty dramatically since its October lows around forty-two bucks. Now it's at seventy-one and change, almost seventy-two dollars at the close today. I don't see any reason uh, to trim it. You know, it is getting into a bit of resistance here around in the low seventies. So you know, near term, could I see a, a pullback? Absolutely, but we like copper. Uh, the demand for copper is going to continue to rise as we electrify our, uh, our our automobile fleet, and you know we we were big buyers of it uh, on the dip uh, last year. And so uh, I would not be trimming Southern Copper unless it's uh, over too overweight your portfolio. Maybe this is an opportunity to, to trim a little bit, um, but not something that I would uh, be quick to uh, sell right now. We still have a more upside, a uh, higher target for Southern Copper than it is now. Thanks for the call. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Beirut Don says, I'm continuing to listen to your thesis ongoing with regards to industrials for the short and midterm next five years. As a base, I'm adding to my Vanguard VIS ETF, also searching for new positions to add, I came across SNA, which is Snap-on Tools. Do you think SNA is a good holding, and what price would you jump in? SNA has started an uptrend. It is a very consistent business. Just look at its earnings. It's just consistently powered higher, had a little bit of a dip during the pandemic from 2019 to 2020, and then back up to, to growth in 2021. Again in 2022, earnings are only expected to grow 1% this year versus last year. But those estimates are are going up. So I could easily see that continue to, to be on the rise. So uh, snap-on tools, SNA, definitely definitely a solid one. Very good one to, to, to uh, be buying for the medium term. They have very little debt on their balance sheet. Enterprise value to EBITDA is right around 10. Now, the biggest knock-on, you could say, is it's, it's a little bit higher than its longer-term average when it comes to what it typically trades at. So I would say it's roughly fairly valued now. But I'd rather buy a great company, which Snap-on is, at a fair value than a so-so company at a relatively cheap price. So even though it's modestly overvalued, I still think it's a good name. Uh, And the technicals are, let me take a look here, technicals, they're good. Now, it's a bit overbought. (laughs) It has rallied so far this year. Uh, It hit a low in December around 2 20, now it's already up to 244. But on dips, I think this is a name that you want to own. Snap-on Tools, SNA, great question. All right, let's pivot over to the treasury market. And this is important for a lot of people to understand because it it's very easy for people to hijack the narrative that we have a lot of debt, which we do, and that that's a, an area that is going to take down the country, the world, the financial system, etc. Um, But you don't understand the plumbing. Most people don't understand the plumbing within the system. And one of the most important terms you'll probably hear over the next decade is co- what is called the supplementary leverage ratio the SLR and what this is is basically okay now banks they have leverage right they it's a fractional reserve system they have some sort of base assets and they can lend upon that and after the financial crisis the regulators tightened down on that that was one of the problems with Lehman they only had about three percent of their their assets um, in in uh, compared to their leverage, right? They were about 30 to one leverage. And so a 3% drop in asset prices basically made them insolvent. And so the Fed has, or the the regulators have forced banks to keep a much higher percentage of their assets as reserves. Now they helped with that by going out and doing QE and, uh, and that kind of injected reserves into the banking system, reliquified the banking system. And that's why, you're unlikely to have like an 08 right now is because there's just a lot of reserves within the system. However, as our debt continues to go up and up and up, and foreign buyers are not there to buy up our debt, the main source of capital to buy U.S. Treasuries has been not just the Fed, but big banks. And During the COVID crisis, the regulators relaxed the rules around how much treasuries these banks could buy and how much it counted towards their leverage ratios. Because remember, basically, them go buy going to buy bonds is in effect lending, and that counts towards their leverage. Now, what they did temporarily is they suspended treasuries counting towards that leverage ratio so suddenly they could buy basically a limited amount of treasuries and it wouldn't affect their their balance sheet or the ratios that they have to stick to now they reverse that uh, and they now are counted towards that, that that leverage ratio but it's something that if liquidity in the market, in the Treasury market, kind of dries up. This happened actually before the before COVID, 2019. If you remember the the repo crisis in I believe it was September, October of 2019, they they did some things to reliquify the market and make sure that the the Treasury market was functioning because it was very very important. It is very very important for the Treasury market to function and rates not to skyrocket because as we know that feed through to the whole economy. And so that is really the next step. And this has happened before. Where you're if they if they suspend if the, if the they suspend the supplementary leverage, leverage ratio, meaning they allow banks to go buy treasuries without hitting their balance sheet effectively, that's a source of financing for the government. And guess what? The government Longer term needs that source of financing, and lobbyists are making the argument that this is what they should do. Now there will be some balancing to where remember if you have risky assets and non risky assets like treasuries and you blend them together, you have a more moderate risk profile. But if suddenly the only thing you're counting to that leverage ratio are those risky assets and the non you know the, the low risk assets are are gone. Right in that calculation, suddenly all of your assets have some level of risk to them. And so there's some gonna be some tightening on the other part of the, the balance sheet that has to be considered. But this is very important to our financial system. And that's the next step. You're going to see that. If there are problems in the treasury market, this will be one of the big tools they turn to because this is billions, not trillions of dollars that the big banks can go out there buy treasuries, liquefy the market, and guess what? It's great for them because they get still get the interest income, and it hits their bottom line, and they love it, and it doesn't impact their leverage ratio. So something to watch going forward over the next many years. Now, the calendar is 2023, and this should make us all realize that eventually another day is coming, and another day, and then retirement day. And hopefully that day is sooner rather than later for you, and that's what we're to help you do is to get to that point of financial freedom so that, uh, and again, bring that forward by teaching lessons to avoid the pitfalls, to take advantage of opportunities to update your strategies based on the circumstances, based on your circumstances. So if you need help understanding whether or not your strategies are applicable to this market. To your own particular investment risk tolerance and your goals. Well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or CPs at our company KP Financial, where we operate the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. And we practice parallel investing, which means you invest right alongside our clients. So you can schedule a free portfolio, portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Send us a message through investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800 557 5461 the sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. Now, this is
3: Invest Talk. Next up, we will play another listener question. So hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need Invest Talk, Invest Talk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call
2: Investalk eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hello, Justin or Steve. This is Franz from NYC. I'm calling today about MSC Industrial ticker symbol MSM. I found this mid cap company using a stock screener, and based off its financial statements, I'm thinking of adding it to my portfolio. It appears to be a very profitable company based on its high ROE, ROA, and ROIC. Its 4% dividend is safe with a payout ratio of just under 50%, but I don't know much about technical analysis. So based on its fidelity's uh, recognia, the technicals appear weak from short to long term, and so hopefully the price drops. Based on the technicals, where do you believe the long-term support is and where would you enter at a full position? Thank you, as always, and I'll be listening on the podcast.
1: All right, looking at MSCI Industrials, and this is a very quality name. You're right. The return equity, return on assets, return invested capital, all are in the mid-teens or higher on average, longer term. And so we, we like it. Uh, very minimal debt on its balance sheet. Enterprise value is right about nine, which historically that's slight, a little bit below average. The average is right around half or so over the last five years, so it is a bit undervalued in our mind. And you're right, the pay ratio is 60%, so there is some uh, upside there. The, now, the cash dividend pay ratio is a little tight, around 100%, so I don't see a dividend increase in the offing. Uh, let's see, when's the last time they upped their dividend? Yeah, it's been pretty flat uh, as of late, really since uh, the start of the pandemic, right around uh 75 cents oh they just up to the 79 so not, not bad a little bit of a bump there uh but technically it's it's neutral it's not bad it's not amazing uh it, it's been kind of consolidating here after a pullback of a high in 20 what was the high 2021 20, in may of, of that of, of 2021. so it's technicals are it, on the daily chart the shorter term charts are kind of neutral longer term this is more of a pullback pattern uh, for a move higher and cyclicals are starting to outperform again and this definitely would be a cyclical company because what they do is they distribute maintenance repair and operation supplies the 11 distribution centers and 28 branch offices in the United States so they uh, distribute a lot of industrial products that are used for repairs and maintenance etc and that's a business that is consistent and uh, you know they know what they're They know what their their customers need. And 94% of the sales are generated here in the United States. A little bit in Mexico, a little bit in the UK, a little bit in Canada, but mainly here in the US. And I think that's uh, that's good. So uh, we're going to give MSCI a thumbs up and pretty good support after this recent drop. Now let's squeeze in another InvestTalk review question. Bamba Man says, You've all been telling listeners to steer clear of high growth stocks, especially in the technology sector. What's your advice for folks who work in the sector and receive RSUs as compensation, specifically PANW, which is Palo Alto Networks. Would you sell Palo Network RSUs? Do they best and reinvest something else, value stocks or hold them long-term? Uh, and the answer is, yeah, absolutely. I would um, not only for diversification standpoint, mo- that's one issue that most, people who get RSU stock options have is that it's a significant portion of their pay and usually their net worth. And therefore their job is tied to the prospects of the business. And then suddenly their savings investments are tied to the prospects of the business as well. And historically that's not great. So what I I do say is once you hit long-term, capital gains on those RSUs on the stock options, you want to sell them and start diversify. You don't want to be more than 10% probably of your total net worth attached to that one particular company that you happen to work for. And Palo Alto Networks is certainly in a downtrend and remains uh, overvalued, even though it's uh, down 37% from a two week high. So that's how you deal with RSUs, especially in the tech sector. This is Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here, to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. The stock
2: market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So, how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk-alized quiz.
0: Hello, Stephen Justin. I would like your opinion on ticker symbol NI in the utility space. I'm hoping to add this high-dividend player to my portfolio in a Roth. And one of the reasons I wanted to add it was because I don't have any utilities currently. And I'm just wondering, do I need every sector to be represented in a long-term portfolio? Thank you so much for your guidance.
1: Well, the answer is probably yes. You probably want to have some exposure to all the sectors, because especially for diversification purposes, if you want to kind of balance out the risk in your portfolio. Every sector has great performers, great companies within them. So I like that you don't have any or looking to add one. Now, uh, this is NISource, N-I-S-O-U-R-C-E, Inc. N-I is the symbol. And this is a regulated utility, mainly uh, a natural gas utility. Now, they do have some electricity uh, distribution in Indiana. About 40% of their business is there. 60% is in six natural gas distribution utilities spread amongst Let's see. How many states? Three point five million customers in Indiana, Kentucky, Maryland, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. About five hundred thousand customers in. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. So it's 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 pretty big. About eleven billion dollar market cap. Its return on equity is at about thirteen percent, which is pretty good, especially for a utility. Most utilities their profits are regulated, and they're regulated pretty low. Now they're diversifying into a lot of green uh, energy sources, and regulators are reimbursing them for that, and they're still uh, able to, to make consistent profits. So this is a good one. This is a solid one. Uh, I, w- I would give this one a, a thumbs up, 3.4% dividend yield. I like that, that you said this is a high dividend payer. For most people, 3.4% doesn't sound like a high dividend payer, but Definitely higher than the S&P average. So it's certainly above average. And it's consistent. Now, it's not cheap. I will say that. Not not cheap. But it is a solid player. Probably fairly valued. And um, I would say yes. If you don't have any utilities, this is a solid one to pick up. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's check in on some sentiment gauges for the most polarizing stock in the market today, and that is Tesla. And it's down drastically over the past year for various reasons. A lot of Elon uh, gyrations in sentiment towards him personally. And obviously the Twitter saga has caused him to sell off a lot of shares. And that's a lot more shares for other people's people to pick up. And retail investors have done that. Not enough to keep the stock up, but they're doing it. Retail investors have steadily bought the dip in Tesla, and they've bought, more than, they've bought more Tesla over the last six months than the prior 60 months total. On Friday, retail investors reported $217 million in net purchases of Tesla. That's the highest daily inflow since August of last year and today tesla was the most popular purchase among fidelity customers at least that was as of monday excuse me so despite the the problems with the underlying economy underlying demand with the sentiment shift on elon and thus tesla there's still the sycophantic fans of Tesla that will buy it on any dip. Completely ignoring the fact that demand in the auto industry has fallen and demand for Tesla in general has fallen off a cliff as Elon's alienated a large part of the Tesla audience. And so... If you think sentiment is washed out in Tesla, you'd be wrong because the average investor is still picking up shares and thinking it's still cheap. I disagree. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security